your Bibles with me to John chapter 20, uh, John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we're going to be looking at this. Um, <clears throat> this is one of, I always say that, but it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. There's just so much in it. And it's just, a, today we're just going to do a brief introduction and we're going to tackle uh, four uh four things that we can learn from the passage and then we'll get into more of the of the story as the weeks uh, go on but I do want to read the whole passage today because I think in its fullness it is very uh, special and precious to us so let's 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 read together uh, chapter 11 of the book of John now a certain man was sick Lazarus of Bethany the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had anointed the women, or uh, had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the, in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, to, they followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them? And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again groaning himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. And the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he said, not on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, 
they plotted to put him to death. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priest and the Pharisees had given commandment that if anyone knew where he was, they should report it, that they might seize him. What an amazing reading, you know. This is, this is the, the seventh and final sign that John writes down. He says, many other things, many things Jesus did, but I've written down these seven signs that he did that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that in believing you may have life in his name. He's putting this out forward. These are the things he did. And notice, I mean, we're, we're going to tackle this in the weeks to come, but notice right here, right now, that he has authority over death. Not just over illness. He let the illness lead to death so he could demonstrate his authority over death. Not resuscitation, not dead maybe 30 minutes, Four days when the body began, it was already in the process of decomposing. The seventh sign. This miracle is not recorded in any other gospel. Jesus shows his power to make the grave let go of its captives and demonstrates his ability to sympathize with his people he wept. He groaned. Please understand, he was not groaning for Lazarus. He was not groaning for himself. He was groaning because of the pain that the suffering on earth brought upon Mary and Martha and those around. The sign was performed, and right there and then, as he did that, he turned towards the cross. And as we go through the Gospels past this chapter, it's going to be amazing because Mary anoints him for death. And then, and then there's going to be this, the last few hours of Jesus' life on earth. There's going to be, what does a man that knows that's departing from earth, what does he want to say to his disciples? What does he want to say to his people? And he's going to open up his heart in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I mean, we're, head, we're heading into incredible territory here. I mean, I just think it's just amazing to, to, to take that time and read it together. I mean, read it when you're by yourselves at home. Read it with other people. But here there's four things we can learn today, just from the first few verses. These verses teach us that Christians may be sick and ill as well as others. I know it sounds like a no-brainer, but it's amazing how people are confused about this. Christians, people that love God, might get sick and will get sick, just like everybody else on earth. 
They said, him who you love, whom you love, is sick. This lesson needs to sink deep into our ears and into our hearts. We live in a world that is a fallen world. We are living in a world that is suffering the consequences of the fall of man because of the sin of man. And so therefore there are thorns, therefore there is murder, therefore there is illnesses, therefore um, you know, there, there is wars, therefore there is disease, you know, therefore there is poverty. The reason we are dealing with these things is because we are in a fallen world. And as Christians, we are going to actually, at times in our life, go through this stuff just like everybody else. We live in a world full of sin and death. And we need to know that although we might be affected in body or mind, it is not a sign that God is displeased with us. This is huge. And I think it's one of the great evils that can happen in churches when someone is ill, and then you can might say to them, because it's because you want to, or it's because you don't believe, or it's because you're some sin inside of you. You must have done something, and that's why you're in the condition that you're in. I cannot think of anything much more brutal to do to a person than that, that when they're down, you just sort of nail them in the head. Here, Lazarus is sick. And Martha and Mary send messengers over and say, the one you love is sick. They're not associating the, the, the favor of God or the love of Jesus on the basis of how healthy or rich they are. That is not how we gauge someone's love. They're, they're gauging it on the love that Jesus, that they know that Jesus has for them. And you know what? We have to realize this. And and I know I know I don't I I don't want to I, I I was so I'm so worried about today because I don't want to paint the wrong picture. But I I I do want to say you know these people that are help uh, there you know there's some people that are just sort of well I thank you for cancer. No, we're not thankful for cancer. We're not thankful even for the flu. We can be thankful and confident that no matter what hits us, God is able to work it for good. So, and I think in situations like that, it tends to draw, when, when we're ill, when we're going through pressures, when we're going through struggles, it tends to draw our affections away from this world and to direct them to things above. I remember with my, with my little Arden when he was six months old, um, we, we got news that he had, uh, he, I wrote it down actually, because I always mention it and I always forget what he had. Thrombocytopenia, and that, now you know why I forget. Thrombocytopenia, and what it is, is 1% of kids that are born have it, and 90% of the kids that get it uh, overcome it on their own. But it's pretty much your platelets, your blood platelets drop to like 
10,000 and they should be at 250, 350,000. There should be a lot more platelets. And when the, the, the nurse told me, the doctor told me, your son has to stay in the hospital. I said, look, I just want you to take the fever away and send me home. He goes, I can't. And if you want, you can sign this thing, but his life is your responsibility. He is severely ill. He's got to stay in the hospital. And I was shocked. And, and I remember, I still remember from, to this day, just being in, in um, at the time I was dropping off Jonathan in Paguera at the school there. And I, oh, no, no, in, in Saraco, I think. And I was driving to the hospital in Palma and I'm just crying. And I'm like, Lord, whatever he can, why? Why, why can't, give it to me. And, and, and then I just found myself in, in, in conversation with the Lord. And, and, and it's almost like he, there was a sense of, but why shouldn't you guys th go through this? Why shouldn't you guys go through this? And what I found in every time, not just this, this situation, but every time, whatever things we have gone through in life, no matter what pressures it is, uh, pressures there are, what it always does, it's amazing how it makes us dependent on him. We read the Bible different. We pray differently. It, 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 it gets our eyes towards eternity. Um, Andrew Stell, when, when, when his wife uh, was diagnosed, sorry, not diagnosed, she was diagnosed with uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, but, um, and we were talking in Camp de Mar, and, she's, and, and um, um, there was a struggle there, but there was a, a pressing towards things above. These things are produced in us. It reminds us that we are not going to live forever and tunes and trains our hearts for our great change. It trains us that we are not going to live forever. And it, and it, and it trains our hearts towards that great change. One day we are going to be with the Lord transformed. And so whenever we're going through circumstances, illness, um, like Lazarus was, we need to be patient and we need to trust that the Lord loves us just as much when we are healthy as when we are sick. He loves us just as much when we are healthy or when we are sick rather as when we are healthy. And you know, you turn on Christian TV and you're going to give exactly the opposite message. If you're wealthy and you're healthy, then God must be blessing you. But if you're ill, then God must not be pleased with you. Can you please play the video? I have this video. Now, before you play it, um, pause it if you could. So Joni Tada is uh, uh, an older lady now. She, when she was a young girl, she dived in a lake. And when she dived in a lake, her head hit the bottom of the, of the, of the um, lake. 
and she was left a quadriplegic. She had to learn how to, she draws with her mouth, with a, you know, she paints, makes paintings. And, and I just want to introduce you to her and her ministry. It began back in 1967. I was 17, athletic. One summer day, I went swimming in the bay with my sister, took a reckless dive into shallow water. I knew then my life had changed forever. My doctor said, Johnny, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life without use of your hands, your legs. I knew I couldn't end my life physically, so I was tempted to end my life emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I wanted to just lay in bed, tell my mother to turn off the lights and shut the door. In the dark behind that closed door, I, I cried out, God, if I can die, then show me how to live. God put Christian friends in my life who opened the Bible and showed me that God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. And eventually I wheeled out of that dark bedroom and began to embrace life. I discovered there's a world of other disabled people in dark bedrooms who, like me, need to embrace life and know God. I started writing about this and speaking, and before I knew it, my message gave birth to Johnny and Friends. Johnny and Friends is a place where we share God's hope through every hardship. Johnny and Friends is the heart, the hands, and the feet of Jesus Christ to people who are desperately hurting and need His help. Special needs families, these quickly became the friends of Johnny and Friends, and little did I realize that it would quickly become the ministry that it is today globally. Yes, we give the wheelchair by all means, but it's an entree, it's a toe in the door so that we can then share the good news of Jesus and back it up with a Bible in their own language. That is so important. It's just critical that these families are connected with caring evangelical pastors in their villages and towns so that they can be embraced by the body of Christ and know that there is hope beyond their suffering. That's all point behind Family Retreat, that they find the hope of Jesus Christ that can sustain them the 51 weeks until another Family Retreat next summer. And at Johnny's house, well, these international disability centers are providing complete Christ-centered care year-round to the families who need it most. Whether at our headquarters in Southern California, our area ministry teams around the country, or our network of partners and volunteers all across the globe, our passion is to see people and special needs families embrace Christ, embrace the circumstances that God puts them in, and embrace life. And so, until the whole world hears and the whole world moves, until his house is full, let's get going. Amazing. I mean, here's a woman who is ill, but the illness doesn't define her. She knows she is loved by God and she's able to love. The one you love is sick. Number two, notice that Jesus is the true friend in time of need. And no matter what it is that we are going through, Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him and said, Lord, behold, him whom you love is sick. Isn't that an amazing prayer? There's no, there's no um, direction. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, can, like our prayer, 
And now we ask you to do this and then do this and then do this and then do that and then do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, there's no that. There's such a friendship between, between Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that all they, have to, all they have to send is say, you know, I know that if we can get the message that Lazarus is sick, Jesus is there for us. They just laid it before him. What a beautiful message. Lord, the one you love is sick. They said it and left it there. Kind of like in 2 Kings 19, 14, where Hezekiah gets a letter from these, this enemy and he just goes up to the temple with the letter and he says, Lord, here you go, read this. Read this letter. I don't know what to do with it. Full of trust. Listen, relational trust i always tell missionaries and and we talk we're, we're helping with uh church planters all over all over the world at the moment and and uh, and people usually are like they're very excited and i always tell missionaries you know what when you go well first of all there's three kinds of faith in the bible there is a gift of saving faith in other words one day you were not a believer you prayed and next thing you know, you believe. And you're like, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't know what happened, but I didn't believe and now I'm just a believer. It's like, it's like if you were blind, but now you see. So that's one kind of faith. The second kind of faith is a gift of faith that sort of happens whenever you need something that God is calling you to do. Coming to Mallorca, Loretta and I, if you could sum up the, 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 the conference in one word, what would it be? Go. Okay, let's go. We sh I mean, you know, everybody's just astonished. In London, in our church, they're shocked. What are you going to do? I don't know what I'm going to work. I don't know what I'm going to do, but God's calling us to go to Mallorca. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, these guys are amazing. We get here, it's like, what have we done? What in the world have we done? But then comes the most precious faith that we could ever see which is relational faith. That means that there's a friendship between Jesus and us where we trust them, not through a gift of faith, not through a gift of faith to believe, but we trust them as our dear friend. We know him. We know his love. We know his faithfulness. So therefore, when we panic, he's able to we're able to calm our hearts with him. Trust that he's going to do what is best. Trust with humility. They're saying, Lord, if you, they're not saying, Lord, if you would have been here, Lord, if you would have been here. There's a humility in them. There's a gracious submission in Mary and Martha. It's kind of like Job when he was, when he lost his children, he lost his possessions, he lost his animals, he lost um, his, his um, yeah, after the last messenger actually, before he got sick himself, but he just fell down and he just worshiped. He just worshiped. 
Let us know that no one can help us in our time of need like he can. The one time I've seen this most clearly, and I, and I, I, I sound like a broken record sometimes, but there was this, this dear friend we had that used to come to the island and she was diagnosed with cancer. And I just watched the process of, of the different opinions towards her. And, and then she was an Advent reader and she just, she just said to me, I asked her, what are you reading nowadays? Because she liked to read secular books. She liked to read Christian books. She liked to read her Bible, probably in that order. And then she's like, oh, these days, the only thing that ministers to my heart is the word of God. And really, it was Jesus. I will call her every once in a while. And I'll say, how are you doing? And she was like, she was going into a doctor's appointment, coming out of one, and we would pray together. And then I remember, this is the crazy thing. She, the last day of her life, the last day we were there, she would not take pain medication. She would not take pain medication because she wanted to be, she wanted to be lucid to be able to share the gospel. So she would bring the hairdresser. She would bring, uh, you know, people from the community and they, she would bring them for maybe 10 minutes with her and she would just share the gospel with them. But I just saw Jesus' strength. She was unrecognizable, but the strength. And right there and then, she, I, I, she said to me, Raphael, you know, God has blessed us materially over the years, but the only thing that matters in this place and in this situation is to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. To know the friendship. Now, I'm not saying this because bad things are going to happen to you. It's not, I'm just saying that when things happen to us, we need to realize that the closest friend that we're ever going to have to help us in time of need is Jesus. Man, Ethan... Guys, this might surprise you, but I'm going to get ill and I'm going to die. And so are you. Sorry for the optimistic message today, you know, but the rea that's the reality. But the, the, the message of the Bible is God's going to keep, is not God's going to keep us from everything. The message of the Bible is God's going to, Jesus is going to keep us through everything. Nothing's ever going to be able to get in the way of what Jesus is doing in our life. Nothing, not even death. Nothing. And Jesus is the true friend. And I often think of this. I think of the day when I'm by myself and I'm going to have to jump by myself into that incredible leap, which is death. And I can't do that with anybody else but with Jesus. He will do that with me. So here's Lazarus. And they notice that Jesus is the true friend in time of need. They can just call out on his name. They don't even have to express exactly what is going on. 
because he knows. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Number three, notice that Jesus loves. It says this, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Right? Chap uh, what, what verse is it? Um, um, there you go, five, verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And this is interesting because this shows us as well that their characteristics are very different. I, I would say that we are like Lazarus because it doesn't say anything about what he was. So, and, and I think the Lord left his characteristic out of the picture so we wouldn't know, so we can say, even I fit in there. But you know Martha, right? Martha was the busy one. It's, Martha is Loretta. I'm Mary. <laughs> you know, Martha's like, Jesus, can you get this guy to help me? And me. Oh, Loretta, I'm just with Jesus right now, you know. There's <laughs> just that kind of a mentality. But, but you know, there's different personalities. There's, there's the doers. There's, the, there, there's people that are a little bit quirky in their personality. But the beautiful thing in the scriptures is that Jesus, it says that he loves Martha, he loves Mary, and he loves all different. There's, I'm so, I mean, this church could never be a cult. You guys are so strong-minded. You guys are so self-willed. You guys are just so crazy. But I love that you guys are so diverse. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. But you know what? There's no such thing as God loves this type of person and not that type of person. You know, at the end, of the, I'm glad you like that, Jess. <laughs> but but, it, but it, it's kind of like, it, it, you know, it's as, it's as possible as a garden. It's not like I'm sitting at home and I have a garden. It's like, oh, I just love my roses and not my lemons. Or I love my lemons and not my oranges. Or I love my um, oranges, but not the nispedos or the, or, or the figs. You know, a garden is full of all kinds of stuff. And it's all good because he made it all. It's like having children. My goodness, Arden and Jonathan are so different. And then you see, uh, uh, um, well, just uh, Carlos and, and, and Cedric and Alfonso, they're just so different. And then uh, Gordon's kids as well, they're just so different. But you, you know, but they care for all their kids. And we try to see their diversity. That's how the Lord is. And you know what? The problem does not become from the love from up down to us. The problem becomes when on the horizontal, when we begin to think, kind of like John a little bit, the one that Jesus loved, when we think that we're the favorite. No, we are to love one another. We are to bear with one another. In Colossians 3, chap chapter 13, it says, bear with one another. That means not just to put up, but I mean, it just means that we, we are able to understand and, and, and work with each other. And number four, finally, notice that Jesus knows the timing best. When he heard that he was sick, I don't understand this. Huh? He heard that he was sick and he stayed two more days in the place where he was. 
He delayed the trip on purpose. He arrived late. Why couldn't he go earlier? Lord, if you had been here, my brother, verse 21, would not have died. Lord, if you had, that's Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, verse 32, Mary said. And Jesus says, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I don't know. We live in a very fast-paced society. We want quick everything. But you're not going to speed up God. But he will slow us down. Take Abraham. Last week, Jessica she pinned me down outside of that coffee shop for two and a half hours. She says this, how in the world? I'm reading the Bible. I mean, what's all these sheep being killed? She said, then what's this guy, Abraham? God promises him a son, and then he goes with this girl, Hagar, and then when she's got a son, she pushes him out. He, they push her out. What's up with that? And what was up with that is that Abraham and Sarah became impatient with the plan of God. They thought, we are going to help God. Moses, he knew he was the deliverer of the children of Israel from Egypt. And at one point, he sees one suffering and he steps in there. And he says, now it's the time. And he just, he just knocked the guy out. He got impatient, and by the time he was, he had been out for 40 years, Now, the, then the Lord comes to him and says, now is the time. Joseph, he received a great vision that the, the, the brothers were going to bow down to him. He knew the end. He didn't know the middle. And the middle was painful, but the middle is what built his character. And David, it got so long that he finally said, surely I'm going to die by the hand of Saul. He, I think from the time that he was anointed king to the time he became king was about 15 years. God's going to take his time. You're not going to rush him. He's interested in fruit, not a factory. And fruit takes time. And he is faithful. You know what? He remembers his promises even when we've forgotten them. And it takes time. And here what I love is that you have a family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And you know what? They are not great missionaries. They are not great uh, pastors. They are not great uh, entrepreneurs. They're just a regular family. And what's really special in this family is that there's a family where they love each other and they have a personal loving relationship with Jesus. And I want to close with this right before we take communion. 
we notice in the New Testament that it is love and not knowledge that makes strong Christians. So that's what we Paul, the greatest teacher, he wrote, knowledge puffs up the head, but love builds people up. And it's okay to have knowledge. I mean, it is Paul that wrote the 13 epistles, so we would be instructed, but we grow. But, it, but the motivation is love. What's the point? What's the point of doing anything if the motivation is not love? And it is love alone that gives the real power to live the Christian life and to serve the Christian community. It was Ezra that said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It was Paul that says, in Jesus Christ, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails much, but faith working through love. And Jacob said, that he, it, the Bible says in Genesis 29, 20, that he waited, se he worked seven years longer for Laban. And it seemed to him like a few days because he loved Rachel. Love cancels time. And in, 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 in just closing, I mean, it's just incredible to see this family whom Jesus loved and they love Jesus. That's your life. That's my life. That's the goal. And you cannot rush that. You know, you can't rush relationship. It takes time to grow with the Lord. And we see that as the, not the weeks, as the months, as the years go by, as the decades go by, you will see my goodness all I want is him, and all he wants is me. A loving relationship, no matter what we go through in life. No matter what we go through in life. You know, I was thinking today, we had staff meeting the other day, and I was shocked. Because I, I, I looked at staff meeting, and I was like, my goodness, like half the people in this place became Christians here. You know, and then we, you know, so about 20, per, I mean, I would say 20% of the church became Christians here. 20% of our church is non-Christian. We have people that come that want to hear about Jesus, are interested in the Bible, but are not Christian. And I want to leave it very clear today. If you're non-Christian here today, our goal, our only goal is for you to meet Jesus and begin just the most amazing, loving relationship that you could ever experience. If you're a brand new Christian here, our desire is that you will grow in that. We ask you to serve, and we have children's ministry, we have coffee shop, we, we have all kinds, of, we are dying here, we have so much to do, it's so many things. We are dying here. But listen, our goal is not to get servants. Our goal is for people to grow in a loving relationship to Jesus. That like this lady that I mentioned that was in her bed, and she says, in this bed, the only thing that matters 
is the love of God. She said to Loretta when she was first diagnosed, Loretta went over to her and she says, Loretta, I met, I met the man, I met Jesus when I was 16 years old. And we've been through too much together for me to doubt him now. Nothing beats that. So let's pray. We're going to take communion. I mean, communion, what is communion? Communion is saying thank you. Saying thank you for what he has done for us. Thank you that he's paid for our sins. Thank you that through his death, and resurrection, he has opened the door for us to have a living hope, to be able to rise forever and ever. So if we, uh, the elements are, if we could pass. That, of this beautiful family, Lord, that we will go through stuff, that we know that we go through stuff, but you love us no, uh, just as much. Lord, that you are the friend that we can count on. And the timing is not always our timing, but we can know for sure, Lord, is that with you, we are indestructible. That you will work everything together for good. And Lord, that even the biggest enemy that we have, which is death, will not be able to steal anything from us. We will gain it all with you. We are so grateful, Lord, for our hope, a living hope. And help us, Lord, to grow in a loving relationship Work by your Holy Spirit in us. If we're dead, say, Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> Breathe life into us, Lord, with you. Cause us to grow, even as we read earlier, real people in a real world with a real God. You are to know you personally. In Jesus' name, amen.